I'm Harry Posier. I'm with Peter Loche, and we're talking about ourselves and our histories here. Where were you born? I was born in southern Italy, a place called uh, Bibo Marignan. You're making that up. That's from a book. I read that in an Italo Calvino book about Bilbo Bobino, that town we got. And where everybody gives you the Malocchio. Malocchio. So I came here when I was five and a half. And did you speak any English? Zero. Zero English. So how long did it take you until you were fluent in English? Within six to 12 months. Okay. So you were an immigrant family? Yep. And you ride around in tattered shorts and t-shirts with holes in it. And not quite. Uh, scrabbling in the dirt for, for carrots and other kinds of... So dandelion goes the side of the highway sometimes. Tough like dandelions to make wine with. Was your family uh, uh, well off? No, my father literally came here with a suitcase and enough money to probably pay his first month's rent to his brothers because they all lived in one house. And usually it's 17 cents. I came over here, I had yeah, 17 I, cents in yeah, my pocket. Yeah. He came in 57, so he was just shy of his 36th birthday. He didn't speak a word of English. So what was the main thing that your dad passed on to you as a boy, as a son, as you grew up? There isn't any one thing that I recall in my youth. It's more now. Looking back, what he left me was how one can live a life and sacrifice a lot of personal happiness in the process. <laughs> my father passed away when I was 13. He was only 49 at the time. He was a baker, worked his arse off, working through the night, sleeping during the day after deliveries were done. I think it put him in an early grave, ultimately. And my mother supported him and uh, worked in the bakery up front, selling cakes and hot cross buns and eclairs and all that stuff. And it was uh, quite devastating for her when he passed away. But she managed to find two more husbands after that. Oh, really? And carry on. Yes. the first I've heard of that, by the way. Yeah. No, I asked her why, you know, the first man that she married after my father, I didn't like him very much, frankly. And uh, I said, why are you marrying him? And she said, because it's hard to be alone. It shocked me to wake up. She wasn't saying because I love him. She was saying because it's hard to be alone. Right. And very, very, you know, difficult time in a way for me because I just didn't like this man. And suddenly he was in my life and I was 15, 16, 17 years old. So, you know, one goes through all these moments in your lifetime where great things happen and then things happen where you just, don't understand it, but True. with perspective, you sort of begin to understand why your parents or your siblings did what they did. I think sometimes people in our generation, or even more so the generation after us, have a difficult time comprehending that people were making life decisions based on very pragmatic terms. Almost like, how the heck can you live with someone purely on a level of fulfilling a necessity, i.e. financial, emotional, so on and so forth, because I don't think they perhaps understand the kind of suffering or the kind of lives that they led. Yeah, that's true. I mean, my parents were married, and, and in those days, you just stuck with it. There were ups, there were downs. At times, your spouse was an a-hole and did bad things or vice versa, but you, you stuck in because that's what you did. And, of course, divorce would have been looked upon askance back in those days. Right. They're talking 40s, 50s, when I grew up. No, it's interesting that now we're in our mid-60s and we're reflecting back. It's dawned on me just how much of everything that I'm doing now relates back 
to those early years directly or indirectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what perspective is, is to find a, get a handle on where I've come from, what formed me, where in that whole history did I find myself, my uniqueness? What part of me is not my biography? Um, it all melts together. Yeah, because there's all these influences, the family, the society, the times you live in, the governments that are running the country at the time. All this stuff feeds into one's development. And there's a place where I felt, I can't pinpoint it, but there's a, a moment in my life where I felt, I am not this. I am something unique. I'm something other than all of these influences. I'm not just the sum total of these influences. I am something unique to being as a spirit. And at that point, I think my life changed and I began to move in directions following my heart in terms of my occupations, my works, my jobs, etc. Getting into more creative aspects of life, writing, art, music, photography, that sort of thing. You wrote with traditional patterns. Totally. And expectations of what others thought you should do. I, I married a shiksa. And for those of you who don't know what a shiksa is, it's someone who is a Gentile. And I grew up in the Jewish household. So that was a shock to the system of my family, of course. But so all of these things were kind of indications that I was my own person. And that process continues to this day. I realized very early on that my father and mother, of course, didn't raise me completely traditionally. And I'm so grateful for that. And not because I'm ashamed of my heritage, quite the opposite, but both my parents, the way they spoke, the way they thought, Although they were still attached to their original roots, I think my mother and father did more than my relatives in terms of trying to break away and expand their horizons, so to speak. You're talking about roots in the Catholic Church? Catholic, Catholic Church, Church, in the Italian family way of life. Okay. Um, for example, I don't speak dialect. That's all my parents spoke with their family. My father made a point of speaking Italian to us. So, As opposed to what? Dialect. Which, which means what? Which means you are communicating very differently the scale of the language mm-hmm. and also the grammar. So your parents talk to you in, in, in Ital- proper Italian, not in some kind of dialect. I think that's actually a very important point. How the language that one is raised in and how it's used in the household. My parents spoke Polish because they're from Poland originally and Yiddish because they're Jewish. And so they spoke a combination of Yiddish and English in the household. But then once in a while, they flip into Polish, especially when they were talking about their time in the camps during the Second World War. My mother was in Auschwitz. So when they would talk about those times, they would go into Polish because they didn't want the children to understand the, the horror of it because we were too young, right? right? Or if they were talking about sex, they would go to Polish as well yeah. and hide that from the kids. But the way, you know, language bounces off your ears when you're a kid growing up in that household, whether it's the dialect versus proper Italian or Polish, Yiddish, English, that really does seep into the system in different ways. I don't speak a word of Polish, really, or very little Yiddish. But those dialects are kind of in me as rhythms of speech mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. using the hands as I'm doing now, you know. Yes. You do when yes. you speak. We gesticulate with our It's part of our gestures. It's part of our body architecture in the world. Your hand gestures can accentuate or minimize what you're saying. So did you go to university? Yes, four years. Where? 
Ryerson. Ryerson, studying what? Architectural technology and building sciences. Okay. So I studied, I went to York University, I studied psychology, counseling psychology in particular, so that when I graduated, I went into childcare, counseling in that world. But that only lasted for a few years, and I realized that it wasn't for me, that my heart was in the arts. Somehow I realized that, and so I began to just follow my heart after university and carried on through photography and acting and that sort of thing, writing. That's interesting because for me, basically when I was growing up, from what I remember, and again, I'm really being simplistic here, but there were basically only four or five career paths. You know, you were a doctor, an engineer, an architect, dentist. teacher, a dentist. My father, who I believe was greatly disappointed or was hoping for something more because he wanted so desperately to be an engineer growing up. And I don't think he thought very much about what I liked or didn't like. In fact, there was so little time spent that he wouldn't have even known what my particular likes were. I went through four years of university, finished university. And I remember sitting at a desk the very last day of school in April of 75, and I'm looking out the window and I think I'm the only guy that hasn't applied for a job because deep down inside, I know this is not what I want to do. Right. It's funny how that happens to us at certain points in our lives. And for some people, it's earlier. And for some, it's later where you realize this is not who I am. And I, I would suspect that there are more than 50% of people out in society who probably shouldn't be where they are. If they followed their hearts, they'd be elsewhere working not in the lawyer's office, but maybe they'd be a butcher or maybe yep. they'll be a, a marathon runner. And that's who they really are. It's a kind of sad thing. Well, the big stride was that you didn't think about too many things and because it was a certain way. And there wasn't that kind of involvement. Like, for example, when I became a father, if I saw something, it wouldn't matter to me whether or not that was something that he could do for a living. I don't have this fear that if I encourage it, that he's going to lose out in life. <laughs> I think there was a lot more of that when we were growing up. I think there was a, a conscious thought because of their own lives. Oh, sure. And in my family, my brother went into engineering. And because he was my brother and five years older than I, I followed him into engineering at U of D when I went there back in 1970. It was engineering science I went into, which was at the time the most difficult course at the university. And so I sat there in class watching little cadres of Chinese students who were brilliant and getting 95 and 98 on their course mm -hmm. tests. And I was just floundering. My brain was not a scientific brain. And you weren't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying it. I spent most of my time in the chess club at the U of T and uh, basically failed that year. And then I took a year off, worked, and then went to York University after that. But you know, these are the lessons you learn. Well, for, for me, that would have been a blessing. Part of my issue was that it didn't matter what I did. I couldn't fail. How I got through school, frankly, I relied primarily on my wits. I never studied. I would pay attention in class as much as I could. But I would never do work outside the classroom. In university, I probably spent as much time playing cards. Well, definitely more cards than studying, but I couldn't play cards in class. So I managed to pay enough attention. But for me, my whole life was like that. It didn't matter what I did. 
I wouldn't excel because I'd always do just enough to get by. Yeah, me too. But failing was out of the question. Yeah. If you think back on what moments inform your life with your parents and your family, for me, one of those moments was when my father taught me to play chess. I was probably 10 years old or something like that. And I remember when he won one of my pawns. Either I was teary-eyed or I was really all broken up. by. And he said, look, just don't worry about it. It's only a pawn. It doesn't mean you're losing the game. Right. Just and you think, when you think of it, it's a life lesson, right? It's a there are setbacks. There are small things that happen to you. It's not the end. You can always come back and play the game and win the game. But coming specifically from your father, that meant a lot. Sure. And some of which may not even dawn on you until many, many years later. It didn't dawn on me at that moment what he was talking about. Many, many years later, it did. Was too. Kind of a convoluted thing, but I'm grateful that I was able to actually reflect back on things. So you end up doing the pragmatic best to right. survive in the world, which you did, right. and which I did. Survive, yeah, that's it's the key word. Freelancer, essentially, for my entire career. I don't have a career, per se. I've been a freelancer. You know, and I was blessed to have married a wife who does do the pragmatic thing and allows me to be a bit of a dreamer. I'm blessed with that. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that, too. I mean, you're married. Yes. And I've been married twice. What would you say is the hardest part or the most challenging part of marriage? Maintaining your own persona, not giving up parts of yourself in order to reach that kind of compromise that's required in relationships. It's a matter of degree. For me, it's always been whatever struggle I have is not the struggle of the relationship. The, the, the relationship is a byproduct of my individual struggle. So it's Douglas thing you've done. Oh my God, I've done so many. Uh, but I mean, I mean, <laughs> but actually, uh, actually, very little dumb that anybody would see because I was always very good at concealing my dumbness. Oh, oh yeah. One of those types. Yes, I was. But hiding behind the uh, oh, yes. slick pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was very uh, put off by showing vulnerability. So. Were there embarrassing moments? Yes, but they were probably more internally embarrassing than they were externally embarrassing. Okay. Mine is, uh, happened at university when I was at York University in one of the pubs one night. And I looked over and I saw the back of some guy's head. And I, I thought, oh, that's a buddy of mine. And I thought I'd go and have fun with my buddy. And I walked over and, and behind him and mussed his hair all over. And he, said, <laughs> and he turned at me and he was a complete stranger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he didn't hit you. And he didn't hit me. Well, that was, that's that's the, that was good. the good ending of that was he didn't yeah. hit me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that you know that's the kind. Oh,